I've said some heinous things in my life with players like trying to get them revved up a little bit. That's a little like off the wall. Oh, that's you, unbelievable. If, you, that sound. if Darren Ehrman was an assistant with you, you'd be fucked. Welcome to Robogues. We have the great man himself back, sipping coffee. He's woke up on time, so everyone rest assured. We've got the the, the A team back in full fold. Robogues, uh, a lot going on in the basketball world. Pro, welcome back, man. Everyone, everyone missed you. Um, it's been, yeah, it was great. It's, it's good. I actually went on uh, Amazon and sent you the clock. I'm not sure if you got that yet. I tried to send you an alarm clock. Might not have showed up yet. I didn't get that. I mean, you did make nine figures in your career, and you got every fucking quarter from it. So I don't think you you probably like you know you probably got me a refurbished one, but we'll see. I don't know about that. I'm trying to, I was trying to actually find one that had multiple time zones on it. They're actually harder, harder harder than you think to find, you know. So you can at least know what time it is. But it has been a bit of a a work in progress. I'm obviously overseas, um, trans in Australia, pros in the US. So what happened? Well, Bogues, you put a you put a bedroom in the studio. What, what you got? <laughs> hotel room, brother. Hotel room. Oh, hotel on, on the road. Nice. NBA life, baby. On Just the road you know, again. Traveling, yeah. traveling on the road. Um, there you go. But yeah, this is a beautiful studio right now. Nice bed right there. And let's get into it. Let's not bore the people too much. Uh, a lot's been going on as far as wins and losses around the league. Multiple streaks going on. But we'll start with the team. My team of the week. And I'm going to go with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, we've given them a lot of love recently with, with Halliburton's form and the way they're playing. Uh, there actually was a funny quote that we shared that Rick Carlisle made, um, you know, with the way they play, referring that to a girlfriend that doesn't play defense. Not sure of the context, but it's been a, uh, you know, even a girlfriend gets annoying if she doesn't play defense or something along those, those lines. So that was a, a quotable from good old Rick Carlisle. It had nothing to do with anything, but that was trending all over social media. But uh, they've won five straight. They're playing really good basketball. Their their defense definitely could be better, but they they kind of counteract that with just you know an amazing ferocious pace of basketball. Pro they they get that ball up and they shoot the first available good shot. It's basically the D'Antoni Phoenix Suns on steroids with an elite point guard that's bigger than Steve Nash essentially, um, and they just they're just flying the ball over the place. They're in a good groove and a good rhythm. Had some good wins over the last five as well. They're nineteen and fourteen, fifth place, and they're they're balling. Look, does this get it done in the playoffs, pro? That's a big question with these kind of systems. Whenever you get into a seven game series, it becomes you know after game two or three, it becomes very grindy. Maybe an injury, maybe this, maybe a form change, maybe a lineup change. Can they sustain that over the course of the playoffs? Yet to be seen. I'm not sure if that can win you a championship, but in the regular season, pro shit, it looks good. Folks, this is his type of team. This is Rick Carlisle's type of team. They're under underdogs. You know, they got an elite player in Halliburton. They've got, you know, Miles Turner's, you know, plays plays hard. Buddy Hill can make shots. But they got all these tough guys that run up and down and they play a good style of basketball. Um, as far as the offensive end. And I think there's no like you look at the roster, there's really nobody who plays defense in the roster. So I don't think what they're giving up. Well, maybe maybe it's a little sort of high as far as well, what Bruce Brown up pro. defensively. Sorry to cut you off. Bruce, Bruce Brown's a pretty good defender. Um, yeah, my T- bad. TJ yeah, right. TJ TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell guards a little bit. He gets up in there a little bit. Miles but. Turner. Yeah, Miles Turner is a good rim protector as well. I'm just saying, like, I think this team's more built for offense. You got spot up players. You've got Halliburton that can get in the paint, can score. You know, averaging 25 and 13 or 25 and 12. Um, you know, throughout the course of the year. Look, like I said, it's it's his type of team. I think he likes when his back's against the wall. I think he likes when the world's against him. No one thinks they're going to be all that great. And let's be honest, I don't think 
anybody would have picked them in the top four or five, you know, in the East you know, th at this juncture. I don't think there there were a team that was going to be 13, 14, 15 in the East, but I don't think anybody, you know, I think once the in-season tournament sort of got in, in, in gear, they really took it to another level. They they started losing some games after it, and but then now they're right back to it. I, I really enjoy watching them play. They move the ball. They score. You know, they've got – you know, they got players in multiple positions that are good, Matherin, Halliburton. You know, even Toppin's played a lot better. I think people would have probably thought that Toppin was on his way out, averaging 11-4, and four, revitalizing his career. They got a tough bench. You know, I, I like them. I like watching them. Uh, they don't guard anybody that much. But to tell you the truth, Bogues, this year, I mean, you get about six teams that are averaging 120 or more. I mean, it's it's all about offense. Not many teams are in dialed into defense. You probably want them dialed in a little bit more. I think they're averaging like 126. I think they're giving up like, I want to say they're giving up 124. Um, yeah, they, they're scoring 126.9, giving up 124.6. Um, that's a pretty good shift. But yeah, they're a good team. They're, they're a pretty fun team to watch for sure. And just sweeping the Milwaukee Bucks as well, which was uh, pretty funny as well. Wow. You know, um, yeah. in the regular season. I mean, you don't see that too often. You generally don't see teams in the regular season with road games and fatigue. You don't see two, at least top six teams, go that lopsided. So they they kind of own the Milwaukee Bucks at the moment. It'd be interesting to see if they, they find each other in the playoffs. Another interesting note, the four down to the eight in the east is so close. So we're gonna see we're gonna see that change on a daily basis. Uh, you got the Heat in four, the Pacers in five, Orlando six, Cleveland seven. New York eight, they're all wedged between half a game or one game. You know, obviously one, two, three will finish. I think one, two, three, we can both agree will finish as is. Uh, it'll be Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Maybe there's a change between Philly and Milwaukee, but we we all kind of seem to think that that's going to eventuate. And then the bottom part of it, you know, your, your Brooklyn, Atlanta, Chicago will fight it out for 9, 10, 11. But I like seeing – uh, similar to the NBL season, really, I like seeing um, a bunch of teams really close because it just makes it exciting. And then, of course, towards the end of the season, pro we start seeing the shenanigans with teams potentially throwing games to move down a seed or, you know, liking better matchups is that whole fun part of of things in the Eastern Conference. So it's been fun to watch. Who, who do you have uh, this week with your team of the week? Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, just beat the, just fresh off beating the Boston Celtics at home. Um, they're playing great. I think they're second in the West right now. I don't think anybody really had them that high. I had them at four um, in the preseason, but but they're they're on all cylinders right now. You know they've got another elite point guard, Shea Gildas Alexander. You know Chet Holmgren's you know playing you know really playing well. Jalen Williams, a guy Josh Giddey's you know getting it done. I think he had twenty twenty one or twenty two against the Celtics. He's playing well. Um, I just think they're a team that. It's the same thing. They, you know, they, I think they've adopted the mantra of positionless basketball. You know, they got Holmgren playing in the perimeter a lot. They've got guys just sort of spacing you out, taking you to the rim. Um, they probably need a little bit more shooting, although I like Isaiah Joe coming off the bench as a shooter. Kaysen Wallace came, plays well off the bench. Dort, really good defender. It'll be interesting, Bogues, what you think, you know, with this team playoff time, because, I mean, they've got the elite player. They've got, like other guys that could like Holmgren, I think is going to be an elite player. If he could stay healthy in the next couple of years, he's going to make an even bigger jump than he is now. And then Jalen Williams, a really solid, like third option, 
um, that could really spread you out, take you to the basket tough, and then Giddy, the elite passer, a guy who could, you know, really make it tough on you with Shea and him in the backcourt. So, um, yeah, I think they're 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 a team to be reckoned with for sure. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it'd be fun to watch. I know you picked them real high. I picked them a bit lower. I was kind of like surprised you picked them that high, but man, I, I thought they were about a year away from being this good. I still think they're a year away from going deep into a playoff run. Yeah. I think they're going to have to just go and take their bumps like most young teams. Although these days you don't know. Some of these young teams are so so young and dumb that can actually work in your favor. Like the pressure doesn't get to you of a playoff series and you just you just let it, leave it all out on the that old cliche of leaving it all out on the floor. They just play basketball. But the only concern I have for them in a playoff series, if they finish in the two, they've got a chance to go second, third round. But it's that age old who, who guards Jokic. I know they beat Denver recently, but that's the big one. It's yeah. in a playoff series – I think Holmgren is so valuable for them offensively and defensively, but then all of a sudden now you you have him guard Jokic. Jokic is going to pick up fouls on you every game just because of the way he plays. Yeah. He's kind of – I wouldn't say he's a flopper. I just think he's very smart with using his body and making you commit fouls and do things. So you look at their backups at the five. This might be a, a team that is probably active in the buyout market with one of these backup bigs that are available, I think, you know, I think they probably mm-hmm. as an insurance policy, because you're going to, you know, if, if they think this is their year to maybe get to a conference finals and then they're going to have to face Denver at second, third round, depending on where they finish, you're going to need a bit more of an insurance policy for that big Serbian in Denver. So that's the only concern I have with them, but no one really matches up well with them at the other end either. Um, they've played Giddy a lot. Interestingly enough, they've played Giddy a lot in that dunker spot. He ends up going to the corner, but I think Giddy's done a really good job of, you know, he'll stay in space and shoot the three, but he won't He won't just constantly stand. He'll actually cut off the ball, and it works so well because they've got Holgram at the five spacing the floor. It's like pick your poison. So I think Giddy's done a really good – you like to see that out of four men sometimes that, that you know, these four men that are pick-and-pop shooters are pretty predictable, but the ones that are tougher, the ones that can roll and and pop, and Holgram's the same. He can roll and pop. Now you got Giddy moving off the ball. So I think they do they play a really nice style of basketball. I think SGA is a killer. I've really enjoyed watching him. Whenever they need a bucket, he makes big shots for them. They've got that I think they've got that X factor that you need in a playoff series. So yeah, I'm interested to see how they go in the playoffs, but they've been they've been fun to watch uh to date. Yeah, and, and Giddy, you 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 were talking about Ben Simmons doing the same thing that Giddy's doing now, like playing out of the dunker spot instead of like roaming around the perimeter and things. And, you know, Drew Holiday, you see that happening too in Boston, even though Drew could shoot a little bit. Um, you see it more guards play out of that dunker spot, I think. But especially with Giddy, you know, Giddy's, I think his free throw is getting better. He makes threes at times, but I think he's probably, you know, obviously with the size and athleticism and ability to finish, I think that playing that dunker spot is pretty, pretty interesting. Have you I seen think- his numbers this season from three pro? Giddy's? Maybe I should maybe I should look at them. I've got it, 37. I, I, yeah, I, I brought it. I, I've got it on my notes for Aussie of the week. But he's he's ten for twenty one, and he's he started horribly. Don't forget. I think he started in the twenties. I think he might have hit the teens for a couple of weeks. Um, Josh Giddy from three. He's ten to twenty one over the last over the last two or three weeks, and he's thirty seven point five percent on two point eight attempts. So, and that's that's yeah. what we've said from the start. If he if if that is consistent for him, the Jason Kidd, you know, later on in his career where they just can't dare you to constantly shoot it and you're shooting it at 37, that's perfect. You only need to shoot two or three of them. You go one for two, one for three, they're going to close you out. It opens up his game so much more. So he's, yeah, he's shooting it very, very well. Well, yeah, I think that with, you know, Oklahoma City brought in Chip England a couple, you know, uh, I think two years ago 
or you last year, maybe it was, uh, no, it was the beginning of last year, I believe, to work with Giddy and, and the rest of the team. And that's where Oklahoma City really takes it to another level with their development. They don't hire 18 guys that works on, you know, nonsense that the behind the bench. They got more, you know, they got more coaches in American football teams. They got guys that can, they, they want to really take guys that could really get you better. And I think Chip, Chip England's worth his weight in gold, if, especially if you can get guys can shoot. You know, Chet Holmgren always could shoot, but Jalen Williams, the the backup big, he could make threes. Josh Giddy's getting better with the shot. I think having having a guy that could really get, you know, I think when you're talking about development, I think that's that's your biggest thing having having somebody that can make players better shooting the basketball, especially in today's age. And that was the thing with Giddy coming in. Everybody knows what they're shooting, a lack thereof, and. Yeah, you know what, Bogues? I didn't even pay attention to it. I didn't even pay attention to his three number. I know the last time I looked, he was at like 31.5 or 32, trending up a little bit, but I didn't really pay attention. And once you said that, I, I put my database on, clicked on his name, and boom, 37.5. That's pretty impressive as far as this, this shortened to his career. So interesting, for sure. Yeah, same thing happened to me. I looked it up, and I, I, I didn't think he got that high just because how poorly he started. But, but good on Josh. He's obviously getting in the gym, getting the reps up. His confidence is there. Like I said, we we don't think he needs to be a six, seven, eight, nine attempt from three guy ever in his career, just because he does so many things well going downhill. But if if he can just be respectable, where they can't dare you to do it, you're going a long way. All right, weak team of the period for me, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they've they've they're kind of struggling to find an identity. It doesn't help Ben Simmons still out with that injury. Um, they have a lot of good guards, um, decent bigs. They've got, a, they've got a good mix of guys that play hard and can score, but it was flowing pretty well for them earlier in the season, and now it's just kind of fallen off a cliff. They've lost five straight. Um, coaches going to line up changes and trying different things, but they just don't They don't look as good as they did early in the season. I thought they'd be somewhere in the mix of, you know, six to nine, ten, somewhere there, just because I thought they'd just be a consistent, solid team. You know, they've got some some mm-hmm. some guys that know how to play. Royce O'Neal is a good role player. Cam Johnson, younger guy, young and up and coming. Uh, Lonnie Walker, the same, a good role player. Ben Simmons was supposed to be back from injury and playing. Dinwiddie's solid. Finney Smith plays hard, one, one, of, one of the best defenders in the league. Um, Claxton coming into his own at the five spot. Cam Thomas unleashed off the bench to get more minutes for scoring. So I thought they had a pretty good mix there, but it seems to have hit a bit of a wall. And just one of those things that um, – can they can they get themselves out of this kind of downward spiral? And small little stat, which we won't use for useful or useless, but uh, Cam Thomas has missed 20 straight field goals over the last three games when you combine all three games. So he's, yeah, three, yeah he's, I don't know what the record is. Probably looked that up, but uh, three three straight games and he's had no no makes and he's a gunner. He needs, you know, this is a little bit of a correlation there when he's played well this season and had 25, 30 for him. They generally win so much so they've now moved him onto the bench because uh, he can't buy a bucket. But the, the Nets get uh, they get the, the chocolates for the worst performing team in the last two weeks in the world of uh, myself. It's interesting. Yeah, they, they are constructed. Look, they, they're obviously going to build around bridges and see what they're going to do from there. Um, they probably ex- – I don't know if they expected Simmons to play or not, whatever. You know, we've talked about that enough. But, you know, it, it's a, it's a, a group of, you know, players, but I don't think it's – not even close to being constructed yet. Like they don't have, they don't have that true point guard. I I love Bridges as a defender guy who can make a shot, you know, but I don't think he's a guy in my opinion, that's the number one option 
I think he's a, great to have on your team, you know, as that number two guy could guard, you know, guard your best player. But I think they they definitely need to. And they're, they're still building. They're in, in the building process. You know, Nick Claxton was out early. He's getting back. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal. They've got a lot of mix of guys. I love Cam Johnson. Cam Thomas is out for a long time. I'm not a huge Cam Thomas fan. Like, you, I think you characterize him the best as a gunner. And he, he could really score. But, you know, he's one of those, like, undersized twos that could just sort of jack. Um, doesn't really play make. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's been up and down. They've got a lot of good players that are good at multiple things, but I don't think besides Bridges being an elite defender, um, I think they just got to continue to stockpile talent, maybe make moves to try to get another guy that's at least as good as Bridges, if not better, and then sort of build off of that. Um, I think they're expecting good things out of Claxton and a, and a little bit of a bump of his development too. Um, but it's interesting. They've got all those picks from those trades they've made. It'll be interesting to see where they, you know, what they do going forward. But yeah, uh, they they did start okay. Uh, they started in the middle of the pack, and like you said, they've they've sort of taken a little bit of a tumble for sure. Yeah, lost lost five straight, fifteen and twenty. They're in the ninth spot, tied for tied for tenth, ninth, tenth with the with the Atlanta Hawks, and they're in jeopardy of falling out. You know, you got um, Chicago and Toronto half a game behind them. I think we can write off Charlotte, Washington, and Detroit. Obviously, at this point of the season. So it'll be a twelve-horse race to see who fits in for that uh, play-in. But they're they've been bad. Who have you got? You know, it's going to go with the Lakers, but I'm sure we're going to be talking about them with the Darvin Ham thing. Darvin Ham thing, you know, with that story with the locker room deal. But I'm going to go with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, you know, I don't want to go San Antonio. Although I watched them last night, they played really well against Milwaukee. But I- I'm going to go with Charlotte. I think they won one out of their last ten. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're you know, they're missing ball. Rogier's back. Uh, they got Miles Bridges back, but they're just a team sort of, they're a rudderless ship right now. It just seems like they're not really going anywhere. I love their coach. I think he does a great job. I think he's doing the best that he could with the, what they have, but they're not really doing, they're not really putting much together in, in forms of wins and going forward. Look, they're all about young team, you know, young talent. They're going to build around Brandon Miller probably in their future. They got ball in him. You got to figure out what they're going to do with Rogier. Haywood's probably not going to be there you know, for long. Um, but just disappointing, you know, just disappointing. You thought they could make some type of a little bit of a jump, not much, but yeah, they, they've been, they've been really struggling as of late. Have you, have you seen them lately, both? No, I don't want to. Um, I, ah. I mean, I, sorry. I, that's a bit harsh. I think they're they are when they when healthy. They're I had them as my shitty exciting team to watch. Like they're kind of they've got some exciting players that you'd pay money yeah. to go see. But as far as right. winning and playing team basketball, horrific. And it's it's kind of getting to that point about how how much longer are they going to get a pass for? Like it's you know they're probably I, I don't know. This is the way you probably don't do a rebuild. I mean. Ish Smith and Gordon Haywood are kind of their longest tenured NBA players, 13 years each. Then you got Rogier at eight, and then there's a sharp fall off into rookie, rookie, one, first year, second year, third year, rookie, rookie, rookie. So, and they're guys that are playing a lot of the minutes. Like Haywood, Haywood plays a lot of minutes for a vet. That's really their only vet that plays heavy minutes, him and Rogier, right? Ish Smith's a backup, doesn't play a lot. Um, so they're, they're a young team. I guess like Brandon Miller, you really liked him coming out of the draft. He's got a chance to be pretty special for him. 
you know, PJ Washington, can he get things right? Um, then you got the whole Bridges saga as well. Uh, for them, you know, LaMelo Ball, can he stay healthy? You know, he's been hurt a fair bit actually early in his career as well, was hurt in Australia. They are a young, exciting team with some stars, young stars, but they just, they cannot get their shit together. And I, I think next year, there's no more pass for, for, the Charlotte, for the Charlotte Hornets, in my opinion. I think they need to start putting some sort of, you know, culture or style of play or what, what are we going to be? Are we going to be a Indiana type where we just go, Lamelo, you're a Halliburton, run, gun, shoot threes, get it up and down. Are we going to be a more of a half court, which I don't think you want to do with a Lamelo ball, but are we going to be a more grinded out team because we're not good enough? To, I don't know. I don't really think they have that style figured out yet. You watch, you watch some of their, at least from a box score point of view, they're, they're, they're up and down like a yo-yo, even with style of play. So until they figure that out, I think they're going to be a long way. That's what you get with young guys. You're going to have nights where things are clicking and everything looks great, and you're going to have nights where they look shitty. But they're, uh, they're not looking good as, as far as um, wins or losses, bro. Yeah, yeah. They're, look, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of teams that are not a lot, but there's a, there's, there's a more you know, more than you think teams that are sort of like this in the league where you know they're young, they're not very good. They've got some a couple of young, good, really young players. Like, like you look at Detroit for for instance, and you and you compare, you know, they're sort of similar in some in some senses where like they've got a really good young player. You don't know if he's great yet with Cunningham versus Ball. Then you get all this hodgepodge of like players thrown in your roster. I do like Mark Williams and Nick Richards their centers. I think they they do a good job. PJ Washington sort of up and down, but they they don't. I think you got to co- copy the Indiana style Bogues and, and on a team like this. Like if you have a guard, although Halliburton could stay healthy on like ball can't, but like if you have a guard that could dominate the ball and can just sort of get you into things, push the style play and push the the tempo, and then just try to jack up shots and score, and not care as much on the defensive end. But I don't know. It'll, it like you said, I don't know how how much longer you get passes for. Although they did change ownership. I don't know what they're going to do with that. If they're going to make changes with this, but um, it's, it's interesting where they're, where they're going to go. Yeah, I agree. I agree that I think they're a long ways away from being competitive again in the East. I think um, as we've spoken about numerous times, OKC the world and some of these teams that rebuild, I guess, you know, doing it the right way and patience, but there, there's no patience in Charlotte. I think they got to start figuring out how to put t- together a winning product, especially in a small market. That's a hard thing. If you go, if you go too much into a rebuild, four or five year process, fans are just not going to show up, and you need to sell tickets in those markets. So, we'll see how that goes. All right, some news: Ricky Rubio officially retires, twelve years in the NBA. Probably a horror run for the last three or four of his career. Um, did an ACL, uh, mental health issues, and it, it seems this was a mental health decision for him I think the grind of coming back from multiple injuries moving around a lot of people forget I think Ricky was a pro since I think he was 14 15 years old 14 14 years 14. old so he's he's been he's been a professional for most of his life um he lost a lot of his childhood I'm not saying that in a negative way but a lot of his childhood adolescent teenage years he was already a pro um I know some guys some former teammates that played with him he was a rock star in I mean, he was God in Spain coming up as a 14, 15 year old. So probably, you know, lost his, I think his mother passed away not long ago. Um, and that contributed a little bit to his decline with his mental health. So wish him all the best, but he had a you know fabulous career. One of the best passes out there. 
uh, that you'll see a real flashy kind of Spanish point guard, fun to watch. So, um, yeah, just uh, all the best to him as he retires. There's rumors that he might might play again in Spain, um, potentially, and, and I could see that. I could see him, even if he was what kind of, I'm done with basketball, I could see him moving back to Spain and a few of the Spanish guys getting in his ear and saying, come play with us, bring your joy back. I could see him definitely doing that. So that'll be good to see. Yeah, I remember when I was in Boston, he was coming up as a 14, 15-year-old ACB, and then I think at 16, started playing the EuroLeague. And, you know, I think Kobe Carl, George Carl's son, played with him in Spain. And, I mean, he's a unbelievable passer. And, look, his, you know, his career probably didn't go – where he wanted to go as far as the hype going in. But I don't think you'll ever find a coach or a player that would ever say anything bad about Ricky Rubio. Great teammate, um, really talented player, really smart player. Um, it just, he was, he was fun to watch throughout his career. And you know how it goes, folks. The longer you play, especially if you have accolades coming into it and you probably have high expectation like any NBA player would coming in. And then like playing in Minnesota for so long, not really having much success there. And then, you know, and then started getting moving around a little bit. And then a mother passing away. I've been through that. That's hell and back. And, you know, like you said, I hope it is true. I hope he does play again. Um, you see a lot of these European players, like you saw like Marcus Gasol do it, Serge Ibaka do it. You know, you see a lot of these guys that uh, finish out their NBA career and then play a couple of years overseas. And then, you know, Sabonis did it. Uh, Sabonis' dad played Zalgaris late in his career, you know, after leaving the NBA. So sometimes you, you do see that sort of transition again from Europe, NBA, back to Europe for the last few years. And, and, and you know, um, uh, who did it? Not Bargiani. Uh, Bellinelli's doing it. He, he's He left the NBA. He's back in Italy playing. So, you know, it's fun to watch. I hope. I hope he finds some joy in, in in his life, and you never want to see anybody go through any any you know true mental health issue. And um, yeah, I wish him the best. That'd be cool. Yeah, without trying to interject myself into a, a similar path for myself, I think um, towards the end of my NBA career, the last year or two weren't great. Injuries, broke my leg, blah 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 blah. Yeah. Go back to the Lakers. You know, a bit of shady business there between Palinka and myself, and then that that didn't eventuate. And and I kind of I kind of reactively I wouldn't say retired from the NBA but just was like you know what I'm done with this I want to go back to Australia for a couple of years and with thinking that the NBA window was completely shut um and wasn't even trying to like uh, I wasn't going back to Australia to say I'm going back there to play my way back in the NBA I was like I'm cool with being done come back to Australia settle kids in school blah 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 and then um the lifeline the Warriors gave me when they called to come back for a championship run was a blessing in disguise because I got to finish I guess my NBA career on my terms um, rather than I think if that I, I'm really thankful for that opportunity uh, because I didn't finish the NBA on, on my terms the first time. Um, I kind of just reactively was just frustrated with everything the way it went. I knew I was at the end of my tether playing wise in the NBA and it just, I just like had enough and just kind of threw my toys out the cot and went back to Australia. So I was really kind of <laughs> happy to be like, okay, I've got another lifeline played, finish a season healthy, which was important to me. My whole thing, bro, was when I signed with the Warriors, I was like, I'm going to play a little bit. I didn't expect to play much at all. And then Cousins got hurt. And then I'm, I'm playing 20 minutes in the pl- first couple <laughs> rounds of the playoffs. My whole thing in my brain was like, just don't finish this season hurt. <laughs> just don't. Yeah. And I was like, just didn't want to have any injuries and, and, and it all eventuated. But I can, I can definitely understand 
Ricky Rubio's frustration with the last couple of years of his career, a lot of rehab and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, when, when you start getting nicked up with the injuries, and then I don't think people understand with the NBA when you're not the feature anymore, and you're and you got to like be a lunch pail guy and try to earn it, especially with these teams going younger. And as you start going up in age, it's very frustrating because true in the NBA, not a lot of people on the end of it past your seven in rotation get a true chance to like, you know, and that sort of adds in your mental health issue too. Like, you know, when you don't think you're getting a fair shake. Now I'm not saying that that happened with you, but like in the NBA, it's, it's a, like in Europe, there's a, it, it seems to me there's a lot less politics with it. There's a lot, they just want to win. They're not, I don't think a lot of teams are really developing for the future. Like they, they have the academies and they're bringing their guys up, but, it, and they want to do that for sure. But like in the NBA, if you don't get it in the first couple of years of your career, you know, obviously that's not you, you know, you had, you had your career, even Ricky did, but like then when you start not getting a true chance and then you start getting injuries and then you start dealing with the, the day-to-day mind games of the NBA, you know, where you're not the feature anymore, it, it, I think it does pile on. I talk to a lot of players that are, you know, that are, are going through like injury issues and then they come back and then like they try to rehab from the injury, they rehab, but then they lose their spot. They can't get it back. And you got family stuff. You've got, you know, your career stuff, you know, your careers get, you, you could see. So the end come in a little bit in the future, all that stuff could really pile on quick. It's not, this isn't a 2K game where you're going to like score 30 and then get a chance. And this is great being the lineup. Like a lot of times, you know, especially when you can't, you know, I, I saw, I, I was listening to a radio show. Eddie Johnson was saying it with Clay Thompson, when he's going through now talking about not being able to do the things that they're, they, they were able to do earlier in their careers. And then they get, they get nicked up with injuries and they can't get it back. You know, it, they can't get it back that quickly and it takes time. All that stuff I think definitely piles in. And then you throw in family and death and all that. That that could definitely that that definitely have an issue for sure. Hundred percent. And that's why what, what Dante Exum's done is commendable. Um, because he's yeah, he got spat out that way. Exactly what you've spoken about. Quit on early in his career, had some injuries, uh, out yeah. of the league, goes to Europe Euro League, plays well, come back, and now he's playing really good basketball. So a uh, big shout out to Dante Exum. What he's done has been fantastic. There was a trade as well. OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, um, Malachi Flynn for RJ Barrett quickly in a second round pick in 2024 between the Knicks and the Raptors. Who do you think won this one, Pro? I think the Knicks did. Uh, I'll tell you why. I think that like RJ Barrett's a good player. He could score points, but I think he's an inefficient scorer. And I think that if you if you can get a player that I mean, he needs the ball in his hands. We talked about it. They had like 19 lefties on their roster. I mean, it's one less lefty. It's one less guy that really needs the ball. OG is a specialist. He, he could he could make shots. He could straight line drive you, and he could guard people. And he's – I wouldn't say he's an elite defender, but he's very close to being one, and he's very good defender. So I think it's a – he's more of a, a Tibbs type of player. Um, it's more – I think it, it puts the ball more in Brunson's hands, if, if that's possible. Brunson and, and Randall, and it has another guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands that can guard people. They've got guys that could defend on their roster. You know, I, I do. I mean, it doesn't. I don't think it sets them up for a championship team or anything like that. But I think I think it could be pretty good. You know, 
I think it's I such think it's a good. such a Thibs trade. Um, you know, bringing yeah. in OG, he's he's a perfect fit for that system. I think it fits both both teams pretty well. I think this is another one of those trades, yeah. and I think you know the Raptors get some good pieces back. I think um, I think I like quickly. I like his game. Uh, is he a, is he a full time starter? I kind of liked him in that bench role for the Knicks, but he's he's now got some motivation to play for Toronto and prove I'm a starter in this league. Barrett, we know, can get buckets, although inconsistent. But I think for the needs of what the Knicks were looking for, perfect fit. And he's yep. he's a he's a great two way player, can make the three, and he's physical, strong. One of their you know they needed some some defense on the perimeter. You know, um, between Brunson and 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 RJ, and and then you got Randall sometimes moving to the th- three four spot. You don't have a lot of defense there, uh, especially from the perimeter. Now all of a sudden you've got like a bona fide stopper, a guy like hey. This guy's hot. Go shut his ass down, and I think um, yeah, it's a really good move for both teams. So be interested to see if that gives the Knicks an extra push to to move up. They're they're currently where they're sitting currently in eighth. They're in that big block of teams. So we'll see if that that moves them over the line. But uh, interesting that we see a trade at this point. All right, uh, the Lakers. So whenever the Lakers lose games, you always have a lot of leaks coming out of that locker room. So. I think that's a bad sign culturally of teams. Whenever you get things constantly being leaked, even though it happens a lot these days, you generally don't see that out of the teams that run a tight ship, at least from a professional standpoint. OKC, San Antonio, even Indiana now, these teams, you don't really, Boston, you don't really see a lot of that. The Lakers, as soon as one of those cards from the house of cards starts falling, that whole deck's about to be reshuffled. So, there's uh you know a lot of a lot of uh, scuttlebutt around Darvin Ham has lost the Lakers locker room, uh, players growing frust- frustrated with rotation changes, uh, minute minute swaps. You know I think Christian Wood has gone from playing twenty to twenty five to he was almost getting DMPs a couple of weeks ago. All of a sudden he's back in the lineup, then he's out. They change their starting lineup. D'Angelo Russell's been benched, but he's trying to find something. I mean they. they they won. They won their championship already, and and since then they've been horrible. They won the the NBA Cup or the NBA tournament, and since then they've been dismal. Uh, they've been really, really bad. Uh, I think they've lost what, what is it, one out of nine or something like that since since that time. Um, uh, they've lost three in a row. They're two and eight in their last ten. But it seemed like they really invested a lot pro in that tournament because they were they were amped up and ready for that. Uh, maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they know, look, this season's going to be a write-off for us. Let's just try to win this tournament. Gets the LA Meteor off our backs for a while, and this will be our cup for the year because I had them at 10, funnily enough. I hope I'm right. They're at 10 right now, 17 and 18. But to to, to throw this all on Darvin Ham almost immediately as soon as they have a bit of adversity, I hate to see that out of teams, bro. Well, it fits there. It it just sort of fits to what they've been doing the last few years. Um, you know, Frank Vogel wins the championship a year later. He's out. Um, you know, Darwin, I, I can't put this on Darwin. Their team, look, they were spiraling last year and they made the, the deal for Jared Vanderbilt. It really saved their, their season. And, and, you know, they got Russell and Vanderbilt. They just sort of injected some life into their roster and, um, and they, and they ended up, I can't believe it. They, they might be one of the worst as far as like, Western Conference finalists I've ever seen as far as what you expected them to be and then making the Western Conference finals. No, I mean, no offense to them. It's just sort of how they were constructed. But then they really hit it and then they, they got lucky a little bit. They got some luck, you know, in the in the playoffs, and then they just sort of went on a run. They're not a great team. And, you know, look, 
LeBron James is like 40 years old. And you, if he doesn't get like 38, they really don't have much chance to win games. It's just him and Davis got to do it every night. And, you know, Russell's just up and down with his offense. You know, Hachimura doesn't really play. He's been, he's been hurt, but their teams, you know, Vanderbilt really hasn't found his footing at all. Like that energy defensively that he gave last year, you know, he got hurt and now, now, you know, he's been back probably for 10 games or so, but he really hasn't shown it. Woods, just one of those up and down guys. I just don't think they have a lot of great players to go to. I mean, look at their rotation outside of the top two. Reeves is what he is, right? You know, he's good player, you know, could start on teams, good second unit guy. But then you got like Torian Prince, Cam, you know, Cam Reddish, you got Wood. Like, I really like Max Christie. I told you that. I think he could start for them because he's a good player. He hasn't really found his footing shooting the ball, but he rebounds the heck out of it. He can guard people. But they don't really have guys that you're like, yeah, definitely. Like, they've got they've got decent, like, end-of-rotation players playing starting minutes, and it's just hard for them. And it's if you got to rely on LeBron to do it, you know, for third, like every night for 40 minutes a night, it's going to be hard, man. I, I don't I don't see this being a Darwin Ham thing. I think, like you said, he's trying to find something. He's got to continuously, you know, sh- shuffle the deck. I mean, to me, Gabe Vincent wasn't a great signing. And then, he, you know, he hurts his knee. He hasn't played most of the year. So they don't really have a lot of spark. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see where this team is going. I said that last year, and they made a Western Conference final run. I don't see that happening this year at all. Um, but I don't, and now, like you said, like, this is how the NBA is these days, especially in LA, you start losing some games. Of course, you're going to throw the coach under the bus. And I think Darwin's done a good job. You know, I, I think he's done a very good job And this, this, this league is about coaching, but if you don't have talent, we've seen the best of the best. We've seen, we've seen, you know, pop, Kerr, Carlisle, um, Monty Williams, when they don't have talent that can compete every night, they're not winning games. It doesn't matter what your ATO package is, you know, what how smart you are as a coach. If you don't have talent that can win games and they don't, after their top two, they don't have those guys that can win you games yet. Austin Reeves is almost getting there. D'Angelo Russell, I'm not a huge fan of, but they don't really have it. And to throw the coach under the bus is uh, it's pretty bush league. Yeah, I agree. I just uh, it's commendable that they went to a conference finals with that roster. Pretty much same roster, bar Gabe Vincent. You know, they it's commendable because I I think I don't think it's a great fit. I've said LeBron look <laughs> living legend. Uh, going to go down as one of the all time greats, but he's he's thirty nine years old. Like he he can't play both ends of the floor like he once could. They haven't been great defensively. They've had their injuries as well. You factored that in. They're about right where they need to be uh, according to what I think standings wise, which is eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And I think that's where they'll finish. So I just hate to see the coach being thrown on the bus. Uh, Draymond Green will be back soon. We don't have to touch on this, but just some news coming out of Golden State is that he'll, his counseling should have worked and uh, he won't come back and beat the shit out of people anymore. <laughs> I love Draymond, but yeah, he's, he's taking his time away from the game and hopefully um, just gets on with it. And they obviously need him They're They're struggling to I think they're at, at, at 11th right now. They ended up losing a, did you watch the game today? Jokic hitting a, just over. I half. heard about it. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I didn't see it, but I, I heard didn't see about the game. It. I saw the highlights. I think the Warriors were up eighteen with six minutes left. 
the Nuggets go on a run and beat them with a Hail Mary three uh, from between the half-court line and the three-point line, sideline bank shot, walk-off buzzer beater by Jokic. So first buzzer beater, by the way, for Nikola Jokic, which is um, – I thought he would have had a few already, but first first walk-off buzzer beater for Jokic. So Draymond Green back soon there. Last one, the Bulls are apparently pro. A, uh, they, they are not uh, – they don't want to enter a full rebuild, pro. I think you might have some news for them. Oh, boy. Yeah, I think – I don't think they got the memo yet, man. I mean, they're – I don't – I think I think you need to start over. I think, you know, I think you need to start over. This is not a this ain't going well, Bogues, and I don't see it ending well. They don't have they don't have the roster to win. They got guys disgruntled. I don't see it, man. I don't see it. I think the one bright spot they got, you know, besides obviously DeMar DeRozan doing his thing, you know, Kobe White played well in in the absence of ball, but man, they're they're struggling right now with a capital struggle. So I don't I don't see I don't see where they can get out of this spiral, man. It's a it's very similar to the Charlotte Hornets being quoted as saying, Look, we don't want to lose. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but we are. I mean yeah. it's their roster, even when they when they made that trade a couple of years ago and the old DeRozan, Ball, Levine, you know, kind of lineup, we we had scratched our head and they played pretty well early on. Um, they were in the top four for a while, I believe, once when they first put that roster together. But it was never I it was never gonna be a long term solution. I think it's it's a it's a messy roster. Don't know what they are, what they're trying to be. Um shout out to Andre Drummond though. He's hasn't played a whole lot this season, come into the lineup and played very, very well from basically being a guy that hadn't played at all. It brought a bit more toughness to their to their center position, blocked some shots, grabbed some rebounds, great, great rebounder. They've got some good pieces, though, that could be very useful on some teams making a run. You know, Vucevic, Drummond, uh, does anyone go after DeRozan maybe potentially? Uh, they've got some good, some good role players there. Levine as well has been mentioned in, in rumors. I hope he goes to the Lakers. He'd be perfect fit there <laughs> for everything they've got oh, going boy. on there. But, yeah, the, the memo for the Bulls, I think um, you don't want to enter a full rebuild, but you are kind of – they're between a small – I wouldn't say they're a big market when you compare them to New York or LA, but I think they're just a tier below that. So maybe they don't want to go to that full rebuild stage, but I think they've got no choice. they got to, they got to really rebuild it from the ground up. Well, so like you said, they got a lot of a lot of pieces that they could sort of deal for. Um, if I'm them, I'm trying to unload Vucevic, DeRozan, um, Levine, and just start over. You know, Or maybe pick that one player you want to really try to – Build around. I don't think it's Levine. I think it's sort of. I think it's past that, that you know, that zero space where like, I think they're past the point of no return with him where he, he wants out. <clears throat> I love when a guy's disgruntled. Everybody knows he's disgruntled, and here's the circle of life of the NBA. He's disgruntled. People are noticing it. Then he'll go, "Oh, I'm. I, I want to spend the rest of my career here." And then two weeks later, he wants out. So like. That's where I think Levine is. Vucevic, I think, I mean, he's been a good soldier there. Just it hasn't really worked there. So I think they can get stuff for those two. And DeRozan, I think, again, you're not going to get a lot for these players because, again, they're advanced and aged. At least those two, except Levine, he's younger. But, like, you're not going to get a lot, but you can get some protected picks, in my opinion, and just start and just start over. Look, nobody wants to admit it. Because they went through a rebuild. I don't think a GM wants to admit a rebuild five years into a rebuild. You know, like you, <laughs> you, re, you reshape the roster and, you know, because if, once you start saying, oh, it's a rebuild, then like 
you know how the veteran players are. They're going to check out. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the media is going to be on you. You're in Chicago. It's not like you're in Orlando or you're in Charlotte or Indiana or something. Like, you're in you're in a major market. So you can't just do that after, like, after you did this rebuild and really didn't work. Yes, ball got hurt and all that. So, yeah, I think they're I think they're on some, you know, definitely some tough times. And you're going to see – I think you're going to see them active in trade deadline. I don't think they're going to get much back for their players except picks in, in expiring deals or deals that are non-guaranteed where they can get off guys after this year. Um, that's my opinion. You know, I just don't – I don't see this as a – I think they are the Charlotte Hornets of the Midwest. I think they're, you know, I think they're – they're a rudderless ship right now. They got a good coach, just like Charlotte does. But I think they got to reshape what they're doing. I think Charlotte's a much further along because they've got young players. Hundred percent. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I'll take Charlotte's roster over this. Back to your yeah. point earlier about Kobe White. I mean, who? If you blow this up, who are you keeping on that roster? That you're like, hey, this is a non-negotiable. We're keeping Lamelo Ball, Miller for the Hornets. One of those guys. There's no one. Yeah. No offense to anyone on that roster, but. There's no one that I'm like, this is a hard no to any call we get for a trade. They don't have a guy like that. At least Charlotte have a couple, right? Um, I think yeah. a valuable piece teams might go after is a Caruso as a good backup. Maybe you can get him for, for nothing if they're blowing things up and he's disgruntled. At least he's a guy that plays hard for, for a team making a championship run, but I think he's got two years left on his deal still. But other than that, man, there's not a lot there. They've got some good solid guys that have been good players in the league, Vucevic, DeRozan, but even Levine. But they're, you know, you, you forget. Uh, Levine's 20, 28, he's almost 29, Vucevic is 33, and DeRozan's 34. So, you know, they're an older team. Most of their, most of their good players are, are getting up there in age. Even Lonzo Ball's 26. So I think the Bulls are in a really shitty spot. I don't think they have any choice but to rebuild, but it's like even the rebuild might be a new term we're calling pro. They, their rebuild needs a rebuild, you know. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's not looking good. So. We'll see, we'll see that space, and hopefully they bounce back next year. Aussies of the week, we'll go through these real quick, pro. Dante Exum, a little bit of a down week compared to what he did the week before. His assists were up, but he only played two games, was, was out of the lineup with a few niggles. 10.8 points, 2.2 rebounds, five assists per game, and one steal per game, six for 13 from three in those two games. Impressive, his assist numbers have gotten up a lot more than they were, especially when you consider how much Luke has a ball in his hands. Dyson Daniels starting to find a bit more time in the rotation, He's still battling it out with Alvarado for most of those backup minutes, but he's at 6.2 points, 2.0 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 1.4 steals, four for seven from three in that span of two weeks in 17 minutes a night. So good to see him back. Josh Green back from injury, uh, six points, 1.8 rebounds, 2.8 assists. Joe Ingles still out on ankle sprain since December 12. So we're almost at a month um, I'm anticipating, I know he's traveling with them at the moment. So that would tell me that I think he's close to returning. Uh, I haven't spoke to him, but I know he was in golden state for their game a couple of days ago. Uh, so hopefully he's back. It must be worse than reported because it was, uh, just a minor ankle sprain apparently, but the older you get, the longer things take. Jock Landau kind of inconsistently in and out of the lineup. He's played a little bit as of late 3.6 points, two rebounds, but he's, it's, it's similar to the Phoenix story mid last season where you'll have a a week or two span where he's getting 10 to 15 minutes and then all of a sudden gets a DMP and then two games with garbage time. So he's just going to stay ready and, and locked in opportunities will present themselves, but he hasn't had a whole lot of burn as of late. Patty Mills, garbage time only two games for one and a half points, nine and a half minutes total, but he's generally not playing in their rotation when games are close. Matisse Thibel playing pretty well and shooting the ball better, but kind of 
they hold to skelter with him as well. He'll, he'll start some games and he'll, he's been benched lately, but 6.4 points, 2.6 rebounds, one assist, 1.6 steals, and 1.2 blocks. So obviously the defensive end, he's still a menace. Nine for 25 from three, so shooting about around about league average or just a little bit above from the three-point line, which is an important factor for him going into Paris. Ben Simmons, nothing to report, still hasn't played. November November 5th was the injury date, Pro, and it's been two months since, so hopefully we see him back on the court soon. Duop Reith has missed a few games due to injury, but played two, actually got ejected from last game for elbowing Boomer's teammate Josh Green in the face, getting a flagrant two with the ball, but he was 13.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, one assist, seven for 17 from three in those two games, but he's missed a few games due to injuries. Only played two games. And Josh Giddy comes back, bro. He's, he's got his second uh, player of the week, a guy we thought would run the gauntlet, but he's he's found form again. Uh, he, he got injured about two weeks ago. He's come back since then, hasn't missed a beat. 13.1 points, 6.6 rebounds, 4.6 assists, one steal per game. And as I spoke about earlier, 10 for 21 from three in the two-week span leading up to this podcast. 37.5% from three this season on 2.8 attempts. So he's shooting the ball much much better than he was considering where he started. He was in the teens, I think. I think it was at 19 or 20% starting the season. He's really climbed that back to become a respectable three-point shooter. And that's kind of the Aussies so far, bro. Yeah. You know, the the Landale thing I'm following closely, just because Jock's Jock and friend of the show and great dude. I agree with you with the, the full Phoenix-Houston thing, but I think... The difference between the two would be Phoenix sort of knew how to use him when he played. And I think that he had more playmakers off the dribble that could get him in that short role and, and, and sort of use him where I don't think he's being used there. And, uh, you know, it's just personnel stuff. It's not, it, it, it's just, you know, change the scenery. You know, the Exum thing is great. You know, just again, like you said, there's not many players that go through that downward spiral that he did in his career. And then, sort of bite the bullet, play in Europe and come back and do what he's doing. Because even when he came back, he wasn't playing with Dallas and then he just sort of hit it. You don't really see that in the NBA a lot. When a guy starts that downward spiral, it's done. Nobody really wants to give you a chance. You you know, you, you sort of look look at uh, that Frankie Nicotina, uh, the kid that's playing in, yep. that, that was with New York and it was in Dallas and now in Charlotte. Like when you're... <clears throat> After that 18-month span of like getting drafted, if you don't start hitting it by year two, early year three, that's it. And Exum did some good things early in his career, but just got hurt. And then for him to be able to do that is pretty cool. So, yeah, and then as Josh Giddy thing, I'm glad he's playing well. He's a big contributor to, the, uh, to Oklahoma City. So, yeah, that's where I sort of see it. All right, moving on to some stats, useful or useless. Ricky Rubio in 12 seasons pro, 10.8 points, 7.4 assists, 1.8 steals per game. He's the only player to average those career numbers or better without an all-star selection. Useful or useless? Um, as finicky as the all-star selection is, it's always a shit show. So to me, it's like, I think it's useful because it's always good to see stat sort of stat lines a baseline to start with as far as guys that had stats like that that didn't get selected. Um, I say it's useful, but you never know with all-star selection, you know, because of the media and all that other stuff that uh, gets into the selection of it. What do you think? Yeah, I think useful just to show, you know, and don't forget towards the end of his career, those numbers would have been severely hampered because he would have been getting spot, yeah. spot minutes and not playing 20 to 30. 
wasn't really in any winning situations for the most part um, to even warrant all-star selection. So it just it's just one of those things. It's opportunity and timing and um, numbers don't jump off the page. But I think if you just take away maybe the last two or three seasons where he was playing spot minutes, I think those numbers are closer towards 13, 14, 15, and, and 10. All right, next one. Halliburton, last four games pro, 66 assists and four turnovers. Uh, 16.5 to one pro for all our mathematicians out there. Useful, useless. Pretty useful, man. He's, he's, um, unless he's like Westbrook-ish, which he could just, he just wants to pass to an assist and doesn't want to take, you know, doesn't want to have any, any glitches with his, with his turnover numbers. Plays it safe. Yep. Yeah. Plays safe. No, I don't think so at all. I think it's, the guy's really taken a jump in the last year or two in his development of, Man, he he went from really good player, and that's the difference between a player that could put numbers up and a player that can win you games and put numbers up. There's not a lot you can't. It's really hard to do both, and I think you are one or the other. I think you could put some numbers up, or you could help a team win. And for him to do, because obviously all all fingers are to him and Carlisle as far as like them doing well. And but like obviously he's got more control of it because he's on the floor, but I mean to be able to take that team where he's taken them, the assist numbers have been huge, and be able to get guys easy looks and good looks offensively, it's it's pretty good. I think it's definitely useful. Yeah, useful, and I think your point around playing it safe when you have twenty assist games, you're not playing it too safe. So he's he's no. winging it. He's not Chris Paul in it where he's going to throw it to someone knowing that they're going to shoot it. Otherwise, you know Chris Paul historically people that I've spoken to that played with him was he wouldn't throw you the rock unless he knew you were going to shoot it, especially in his younger days. If he didn't pay just the Arkovich or these kind of guys, he would cuss you out. If you were half open he threw it to you, you didn't shoot it, he'd cuss you out because he'd lose the assist chance. So he would always dictate, I'm going to give you the ball right at the right spot. I'm not going to give it to you earlier. Whereas Halliburton plays really – and look, their tempo helps the case with these stats. But when you're playing yeah, that, that high of a tempo, why this is an important stat, four turnovers. When you're playing that high of a tempo, you can be – you know, the old Phoenix Suns, even Steve Nash used to have lines, triple doubles with 11 turnovers, right? He'd have, yes. you know, 15 assists, but 11 turnovers. Because you're playing such a high tempo, you're taking risks and pushing the ball. Um, very, very impressive numbers and very, very useful. Our last three teams to average 30-plus assists in a season, pro. The 1985 Lakers, the 2017 Warriors, the 2024 Pacers. The first two that we mentioned, the 85 Lakers and the 17 Warriors, won an NBA championship. Useful, useless. In the case of the Indiana Pacers, it's useless because Agreed. obviously I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't foresee them winning a championship anytime soon. But um, I think, I mean, those were two special teams, the way they moved the ball. The Lakers, you know, doing what they did and, and, and obviously Golden State. And what and what Indiana's doing is great. And and you talk about their tempo. I think Hussein Bolt sweats watching them fucking play because of the fact how much they go up and down and how fast they go up and down. But I think that I I love their ball movement and what they're doing offensively, but I think it's useless in the in the sense that champion champion. I you know, if they get out of the first round, I think it's a it's a win-win for them this year. I don't think anyone's really putting up that championship banner just yet, but um, I say useless. What do you what do you say, both? Yeah, useless as well. I think um, I don't think they win a championship. It's an interesting stat though. That only two other teams have done that um, in the last 30, 40 years. Problem with Indiana. I'm looking at it right now. They're twenty ninth in opponent 
points per game. That's what kills them. They're they're lower than Atlanta, San Antonio. Sorry, they're giving up more points in Atlanta, um, San Antonio, Detroit, Charlotte, Milwaukee. The only team worse than them is Washington. So until they start guarding, now look, like I said again, that the, the tempo they play at gives other teams more opportunity to score. So it's naturally going to be inflated. But no team's ever ever won an NBA championship or even got close to it that's bottom five defensively. It's just not, not going to happen. So they need to clean that up. If they can get to that mid-tier level, they get to 15, 16, and they put up the points per game they're putting up in that tempo, then we can start talking about a conference finals. But until then, I think it's useless. There isn't a more Carlisle-like line than what he said in that press conference, by the way. Yeah. That is – that I thought it was funnier than hell because that's just, you know, I don't know. I I thought it was funny when 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 you said, "Hey, did you see it?" And I was like, "What, what are you talking about?" I, I thought, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I saw it." And uh, yeah, that was pretty funny because I'll tell you what, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really put a lot of emphasis on the defensive side, even though he'll try to. But he's all offense, obviously. But it's gonna be frustrating, man, when you're putting up when you're putting up arcade numbers offensively, and it's like like he said in his press conference, historical. But then you're putting up historical defensive numbers, you know, what you've given up. It's got to be frustrating, man. 100%. And just the the full quote, I've got it just to make sure everyone can take this fully in. Being historically great is fun, but even dating a girl gets boring after a while if she can't guard anyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, like, that's no context. Totally context had nothing to do with anything. Um, I'm surprised he's been canceled for that actually, bro, but uh, story for another day. All right, NBL stuff. Uh, Melbourne's still running the roost in the NBL Pro. Um, they're still in first place, 15-4, and four, playing really good basketball. They did go down to Cairns last week, and they came back and absolutely housed the Sydney Kings in Sydney. Uh, as a Sydney Kings owner, uh, we, uh, we're going to look to get a sponsorship by either a yo-yo company or a ladder company because uh, our ups and downs are, are insane. Uh, <laughs> we, we are uh, ups and downs are second to none. We'll look like... You know, the whole Harlem Globetrotters one week and the Washington Generals the next week. So kind of frustrating at the moment. Guys are trying to figure it out. DJ Hoagie's out with an injury. He's re-aggravated his, uh, his shoulder, so he was out last game. But uh, Melbourne, credit to them. Ely and Delavadova absolutely kicked their asses um, up and down the floor, offensively, defensively. They played really well. Uh, so they're playing really good basketball right now. The Illawarra Hawks are balling. They have uh, – Tatum has them roaring, pro. They are playing really good basketball. They – I think they were last or second last when he took over. They've now worked their way into sixth. They're winning. I think they're on a little bit of a win streak here. They're playing good basketball. They just beat Southeast Melbourne by 25 plus. Really, really good. Playing well together. It's amazing. You know, we often see sometimes coaching changes don't really move the needle. It's kind of a band aid. This has really changed the trajectory of, of not only this season, but could change the trajectory of, of where they're going long term. So I'm really happy to see them finding some some good form. The New Zealand Breakers, I called it a couple of weeks ago. I said they're, they're the team that – any team in that bottom four that was out at the time that worries me is the New Zealand Breakers because they were injured, they were banged up, they had the US trip, I believe. Um, I just didn't like the way um, – I guess they were playing because it wasn't – it was helter-skelter with their injuries. And I thought if, if they get if they get healthy and just steady the ship and, and don't get abs- absolutely blown out game by game – they stole a couple of games early, and now they're healthy and they're in fifth. Um, and they've got games in hand. They've only played 17 games compared to most of the league that's played 19 or 20. So they're in the mix as well. Uh, Perth playing really good as of late. They're in second. 
Tasmanian in third, but from basically from second, you know, all the way down to, I guess you could say, Cairns in in seventh. It's pretty close. It's only a game or two. I mean, Perth are eleven and seven, um, and then you got Cairns at nine and eleven. So it goes to show you a two game losing streak and a two game winning streak, and it can get pretty close. Adelaide, you can put a line through their five and thirteen. Brisbane have fallen off their second last. They could still be in the mix, but um, going to be tough from here, I believe. I think Sydney might have them next, actually, so that'll be an interesting game. But it's been it's been fun to watch. Uh, I spoke about it last podcast when you were you were not here, probably had a sick day. But uh, basically, from second all the way down to seventh or eighth is wide open, um, and that's what you love to see. There's a lot of moving and shaking, much like the Eastern Conference in the NBA, where one game can affect so much. And obviously, we have the playing system, so the third, fourth, fifth, sixth have playing opportunities. So we're going to make sure that you try to get to the top half of that plane. You get a second chance if you lose. And it's, it's been a fun season so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. Uh, Gary Brown with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Um, he's on his second punch of the season and still has yet to receive a suspension. So I've posted about this last couple of weeks. I just find it um, very head scratching that a guy that can wind up and punch. I think the first one might've missed or scathe. Second one definitely connected to Aaron Baines's kind of neck chest area. I think Aaron Baines put a little bit of sauce on the acting, but so be it. It was still a punch that he wound up and threw to only get a fine and not even a suspension when you consider Aaron Baines obviously, you know, going off his rocker and getting five games. The tribunals, I don't know what they're snorting or smoking, but it needs to change. They they definitely uh, are not on the same page with the rest of the basketball community. Um, as you know, pro in the NBA you get a suspension for winding up and missing. You wind, you wind up and throw a punch and miss. You hit straight air over someone's shoulder, you're getting a game. Um, this guy's now on his second punch of the season and has received a, a fine. I, I don't think that's good. Uh, we talk about you know the, the good of the game and kids watch the game and we can't do this and can't do that. You know that We know a lot of people don't like players being emotional. Okay, but throwing two punches, not acceptable. So... Pretty lucky there, but he's out injured any, anyway at the moment. Um, so maybe the ball doesn't lie, bro. Uh, but uh, yeah, that just 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 not good when you go to throw some punches and, and, and get away with it. Um, but that's that's kind of the NBL. Trent, you got anything on that? Uh, one one interesting thing, Bogues, is like you, we talked about New Zealand. I think they've got some interesting games coming up that will really kind of show us whether or not they're legit um, contenders. Come come playing time, they've got. Uh, Perth this week at Spark, which will be a big game because Perth have been rolling kind of ever since that slow start. And then they go and they've got Melbourne and then they've got Sydney. So I think arguably going against probably the three better teams, maybe minus Tassie. So I think that's something to definitely keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks with New Zealand because it will really probably be the big test for them these next three or four games to see whether or not they're, they're really about it come come these um, play-in time, um, whether or not they can really knock off these kind of better teams that have kind of proven it already this year. Yeah, and I think they have a fair few home games coming up as well. I think they're kind of slided towards more more towards home, I believe. I need to double-check that. But but yeah, they they just they grind you out. They're physical. They've got some talent. They've got some scorers. Um, Lamb has been elite for them. Uh, he's been playing very, very well for them and one of the best imports in the league. I think he's up there with potentially – look, if they crack a top four spot, even he'd be he'd be almost my peak for MVP. Obviously, Bryce Cotton's always up there, but you know if New Zealand makes some noise and somehow manage to get into three or four, I have him as 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 a big reason why he's been. You know these 
Luke Longley and I talk about it a fair bit. These these imports that are pro these imports in the NBL that are kind of undersized from a height perspective, but have low thick center of gravity and you know thick kind of hips down, like you know wombat type ass. They do really well in our league, really well. Um, and it's historically they've done really well. And Lamb's very similar to that. He's got the three ball as well. We had Jay Sean Tate, who was six four. You know when we got the when we got the uh, the scout on him, he was supposed to be six seven, six eight, and he got off the plane. And our owner's like, "What? <laughs> I told you to say you were." But he had a big, wide, lower body, and just I used to see him big boy, you know, six ten guys because they're just so strong around the basket and stuff like that. So they do really well. And Lamb potentially in the MVP running for my for my pick if they if they manage to get in that top four. All right, fact or fake news, pro? I got one for you. Whoa, what do you got? What do you got? All right, I got one for you. Sure. So, there's only two teams in the NBA, pro. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see if any of you two guys know this. Uh, probably you guys probably read it. There's a, there's only two two teams in NBA history that have not retired a jersey. Do you know who they are? If you looked at the sheet, don't answer it. Uh, no, I, I didn't see that part on the sheet. I only saw the top part. Um, I know, but I feel like I shouldn't say it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't well, look at the shape. In Miami's arena, they had Jordan. They had Jordan <laughs> and Bill Russell, I, um, and Bill Russell, which is actually a big, uh, a big debating point with uh, you know, yeah, I saw with that. the Heat and all that. I would say I don't remember seeing anyone in Orlando in Miami. If I had a guess, but go ahead, I, I Trent. Who you got? I know Orlando is going to be one. Oh yeah. And yeah. I, if I had to take a wild guess, I'd go I with Charlotte. No, and there's no Orlando on mine neither. So I'm gonna check real quick while we're doing this. Shaq is retired for the magic. Okay. Uh, but it's the yeah, Clip- I can see that. It's the Clippers and the Raptors. And yeah. I'll lead this into a fact or fake news. Should any player have had, have had, or have, should they have their their jersey retired as of today by those two teams, pro fact or fake news? Um, now, Bogues, like, quickly, in San Antonio, you got Avery Johnson and Bowen with their numbers retired. And – as good as they are in role players, that's tough. And the Celtics got 900 of them. So, and not every one of them were great players. They're going to run out of numbers soon. Um, yeah. You're going to have to go to three yeah, digits. Yeah, they, they do run out of numbers. They got to go triple digits. But, so Toronto, you would say Kawhi off the bat because he did win him a championship, but he was there for, what, a year, right? Not even, yeah. Clippers, yeah, Clippers. Look, I think, I think Chris Paul and, and Griffin took him to a certain level but they didn't really have a lot of success in the playoffs with that, but they did have a lot of longevity. They have, you know, in Dallas, they've got Brad Davis, who was a glue guy for them and was a gritty, loved the city, city loved him. You know, you know, they had a lot of success in the eighties with him and he didn't really have a great statistical deal. So what I'm going to say is Toronto, I think you owe a lot to Kawhi. I, I don't like doing it, but what I about Vince? What about Vince? 
Vince had longevity there too. Yeah. And then until he went to Orlando. So. Well, it's, it's, I would it's the say, whole argument around like, I don't think you retire Jersey strictly for because they won you a championship. No doubt. I think when you Thank think you. Toronto yeah. Raptors, you think Vince Carter. Like, so I think I'm going to say yeah. f- uh, fake news. I think, or yeah, I'm going to say that there should be, the Raptors should definitely retire Vince. Cause like in the nineties, man, like Raptor logo, Vince Carter was where my brain went. And I think that's how you kind of, that's why sometimes you do think, you do say like, okay, this guy's retired, has his jersey retired, but then you talk to people in the city, like you said, Brad, da- Brad Davis was it in, in Dallas or Bruce Bowen. Like they were part of the city. They were part of the grind. They won chips, you know, blah, 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 blah. I think longevity is important. That's why I wouldn't have Kawhi. I think you got to be there for at least minimum of five years, I uh, think. CP3, debatable, didn't win a championship. Um, but they had a lot of fun times and fun basketball. Maybe you yeah. could argue CP3, a lot of records broken there, and although a low bar with the Clippers with historically with numbers, but I think that the one that I would really lean on is Vince Carter for the Raptors. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. Um, and I, you know, I think like you said, if if you talk about the city and who comes to mind, or you talk to a fan that's been, you know, been with the organization for a long time following. And I think guys like Avery Johnson and, and, you know, and Bruce Bowen and San Antonio, those guys are gritty. They, they, they were part of it. And I think same thing in Memphis, you would probably say, well, what about, you know, what about Tony Allen and Zach Randolph and those guys, those guys deserve it. And I think they are, I think both of those guys are, if they haven't already are going to get their numbers retired, but like they never won a championship, but they had success. And those guys just sort of, put the city on their back and did a lot for them. So yeah, I agree. I think uh, Vince Carter would definitely be Toronto. I don't think anyone really comes to mind with Clippers CP. You could say a little bit Griffin, you could say a little bit, but not totally. And I think that, um, yeah, I agree with you. So what about Carl Larry? Can I throw Carl Larry in the mix? Longevity was there for all those conference finals and then finally brings a chip to the city. What are your thoughts there? Uh, I mean, Lowry, DeRozan. Yeah, but, but Larry was yeah. there for the chip, though. So I think, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I mean, yeah. if you're debating CP, you know, Kyle Lowry definitely yeah. should be in the discussion. And he was part of the championship run, right? So whereas DeRozan, they got rid of him the year before. Um, that's definitely definitely debatable, I think, as well. Um, I'd, I'd probably put him – I'd almost put him before Kawhi, to be honest with you, just because the one-stop thing, he was there seven months. <laughs> like, Yeah, I – yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of that. First, first I mean, championship, I though, I understand first championship, but yeah. to retire, you know, and then and then on top of that, let's touch on the teams retiring other guys' jerseys is just, in my opinion, ludicrous. Um, I always when we went to Miami, I was always like, I know it's Michael Jordan, but I'm just like, why is his jersey? Yeah, like because because a fair point, Udonis Haslam mentioned there was a thing trending last week or week before about uh, how Udonis Haslam, I think it was on a podcast with. Who, bam, Bam Adebayo on a podcast Mike together. Miller, Mike Miller. Yeah, I and think, he said right? yeah. that uh, Haslam gave a pregame speech saying, fuck Bill Russell before a Celtics game. And everyone yeah. was like, oh, and he's like, no, my point is like, you would never go to Boston and see them retire someone else's jersey. You, never. Like LA, the same, like these, especially Boston, like they're not retiring the Knicks, the Knicks as well. Like we're not retiring someone else's jersey. It's not going to happen. And oh, I don't know. How you feel about it? But I think you don't retire other players' jerseys, no matter how much they kicked your ass. Yeah, I agree. 
I, I, I do believe if that. It's league, if it's a league-wide thing, like Bill Russell, like they said, okay, like we're going to take the number off the books or we're not, we're not going to – okay, like cool, whatever, like if you want to do that. But I just don't think that you should – yeah, I think if it's a league-wide thing and then you just take the number out of existence completely, which I think they should mm-hmm. potentially do for 23. Um, otherwise, no. Baseball took a couple of numbers off the off the uh, off the books. Um, I don't know. Bill Russell is iconic to me, and Jordan's iconic. The problem is, you're gonna in time, maybe fifty years from now, you're gonna start running out of some numbers because you could say the same for LeBron. You could say the same for you know. You can go down the line on some guys. They're like, all right, let's retire. Let's take that number off the books. Let's take that number off the books. I'm not a I, I'm with you, Bogues. I always looked up and I saw I saw Jordan, you know, and I was like, okay, but that's just Pat Riley doing Pat Riley stuff, you know, and trying to be different and and all that. But I I agree, it's a little weird you know, to see that. Now the whole fuck Bill Russell thing, it's a little, you know, it's a little far. I don't, sometimes you know how that goes, Bogues. People get a little bit carried away in inspirational speeches and they say some <laughs> stuff think? they don't even yeah. know they said. Yeah. I don't take total offense to it like some other people did with the Bill because I understand it. Look, I don't think he, I don't think if you sit next to Bill Russell, he would go no. at Bill Russell. I just think that he was trying to get everybody revved up. I've said some heinous things in my life with players like trying to get them revved up a little bit. That's a little like off the wall. Oh, if as you, unbelievable if, if you, as that sounds. If Darren Ehrman was an assistant with you, you'd be fucked. You would be you'd be canceled yeah. off the face of the earth. Yeah. Like you would never hear from you again. If Darren Ehrman was with me, I would make sure that he'd probably either had to go have to walk around nude like the drug dealers do with the people who mix up the cocaine or he'd TSA. have to like be Tishak. He's got to go through TSA he, when he gets to the facility. No, he'd both. He'd literally have to wear like, you know, when you go through TSA, we'd ha- I'd have some something special made up where it would be surrounded him at all times where it would beep if anything was coming off. So you're right. I, he, could, he could not be around me because some of the stuff that I've said over the years are, are pretty fucking, pretty rough. Just for people that are lost right now, Darren Roman is the NBA assistant coach that secretly recorded Mark Jackson uh, with the Golden State Warriors, just for, for reference there. People might have forgotten. Pro, you got any fact or fake news before we go? Well, folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to introduce two things. One thing. Two um, two questions on the the player stuff that we've been doing. Does he or doesn't he win you more games? And I'm just gonna flip flop, um, not both ways, but just one way. So one player that might be struggling with wins. I'm gonna throw in a player that's sort of similar in age, similar in position, and will they win more games or will not? Because again, difference between p- players who put numbers up versus can win you more games. So I'm going to throw you one right right off the bat. You substitute Derek White for Jordan Poole. Do they win more games in Washington? Now, J.J. Redick said on his podcast that he feels as though that Derek White should be getting all-star nomination. Now, he's playing in a great spot with a lot of great players and a great system and all that stuff versus Washington that's sort of rebuilding. But if you we'll, – we'll say this, folks. Plus three games up to this point. Win you three more games having Derek White in their Ross in that lineup versus Jordan Poole. Do they win more games or not? Yes, clearly. It won't be as pretty, 
Derek White still does some pretty electrifying things from time to time, but he's not going to cross you up, make you fall over. He's not going to make an Instagram viral video of you, you know, falling over before he hits a three. He's not going to do a funny dance. He's not going to have all these mannerisms. Uh, Washington are at six wins. Yeah, I could see them at nine. I think Derek White's a winner. Like he just, he plays basketball the right way. He competes at the defensive end, which the Wizards are horrible defensively. Jordan Poole, don't know if you've seen all those videos where he somehow manages to fall over every time he gets burned on defense, which is actually pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I would say they would. Um, Jordan Poole's a fun guy to watch as an individual when he's hot and on fire, but he's not going to win you games playing that style of basketball. He just, Derek White's going to grind you out defensively, at least try to guard you. Um, he actually crashes the board pretty well for a guard and he can shoot the three ball and he doesn't go outside of his realm. He'll be a great piece on that team. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say good one for the first one, but yes, I would, I think they win more games with him. I do believe they would too. And now look, he's Derek white is not a sexy player. He's not a player that you're just going to give it to and get out of the way. And he's going to create, he's going to space. He's going to make shots. He's going to get in the paint. He's going to make sure, you know, he's going to shoot his floater. He's going to pull up and, you know, pull up, make the right play. He's not going to get you in trouble. Now, the only thing that Jordan Poole can do that I don't think White can, Jordan Poole could probably go on a streak of like scoring 18 and a quarter. Now, he won't, he'll do that every 19 years, of course. He won't do that a lot. But he definitely has more offensive firepower than, than White. The problem is, and again, it, it's this generation of player, they got to understand, you can't live on a steady diet of tough shots your whole career, your whole game. Can't just be tough shots. And I think that, you know, Derek White gives you stability. He could play off of Kuzma. Um, I don't think you'll have the firepower you will with Poole, but you're going to have a lot more efficiency, and you're going to be in a lot more closer type situations where you could maybe win some more games. Like I said, they're not going to be the 86 Celtics with him in the lineup versus Poole, but I think he, he, he brings you closer to winning. I'll give you one. Well, I was going to go two, but I'll give you one more, and Trent could you know chime in and see if he likes it or not because I do value the opinion. Um, Mikel Bridges substitutes Zach Levine in Chicago. Do they win three more games or not? Who did you say first? Sorry, Mikel Bridges, Zach Levine. Now I'll just I'll 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 present the case to you, Bogues. Judge Judge Bogut. Chicago's bad. They're 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 not very good. They you know they're across the board. It's tough for them. They're having a tough year. Talked about that all the time. So it's not all on Zach Levine, and it's not all on Jordan Poole either on, on the other end. But, like, you know, they are bad. I don't know if Bridges, how much difference he makes or not. I'm going to ask you, and I'll give you my opinion on that. But, like, it is a bad, bad team, just like Washington is. And, you know, but and Bridges ain't that guy. I don't think that's, like, a Luka Doncic or a Curry or, or anything like that. But throw him in the mix. What does he do to that Chicago Bulls team? Can they win more games, or is it just going to be, eh, probably the same? A little bit. I think they will as well. I think Bridges guards, Levine on the defensive end, can be a good defender when he wants to, but for the most part he's trying to gun and get numbers at that end. And he just had, yeah. it just seems like he hasn't been a good fit for that team on the wins and losses side of things. It gets you that 50-point game every now and then. I think it's the same argument as the white pool argument, in my opinion. Um, I, I think – Bridges brings a more solid 
game to game, both ends of the floor, make the right play with the current, current group they have. You put him in with Caruso and a few other hard-playing guys, DeRozan, you can probably steal some more wins. I think so. Um, but I think Levine's still very stat. He's predominantly very stat orientated in his mind. Um, and we did the, yeah. we, we spoke about it last week. Uh, his his win loss percentage over his career hasn't been great. Didn't win in Minnesota. Hasn't won here. It just he's not a winner yet. And he's in year what is he ten, eleven, twelve. Um, he's got to figure that out. And then that might mean can you play a, a lesser role? I don't think he can right now. I think he's still in that. I'm the guy. I'm the I'm the number one guy. And he's gonna have to figure out that figure that out the hard way. So I would say that Bridges would bring the Bulls a little bit more um, wins than if it was Levine. Yeah, and, and Bogues, I think the, the most important thing sometimes to look at when you're evaluating NBA players is what spot are you in on that team and, and what role do you play? And, and you see it in Boston with Porzingis, right? Porzingis probably being your main guy, probably even your second guy, isn't, in my opinion, depending on who that first guy was, isn't going to win you games. They're not going to be really successful. They'll be okay. But I think he like Porzingis being the third or even fourth option on a team really elevates what he impacts the game with winning. I think Levine being your number one option or number two option, especially when you're going to take a, a steady diet of tough shots the way he does and he's a scorer. I think it, it it's sort of the same thing with D'Angelo Russell in LA. Like, if he's a main option for a team or second, I don't think you win games. I don't success, you know, consistently. But I think if you put Levine in that third man role, and I think he'll struggle in that third man role, except in that role, just the way he, what he's been doing the first nine years of his career. I think you throw, you know, you throw Bridges in there, which I think Bridges, you know, isn't a one or two either, but he could handle that three or even that two and a half role where he guards. He makes shots. He could be an isolation player at times, but I think he wins you more games because he can guard you, play more efficient, and he's got the athletic skill sets to, you know, the God-given ability to really win you, you know, really like take over some games at times. I don't think he can do it for 48 minutes a night like some of these other guys can, but I think he can do it in small doses. But the defensive end, he's elite. And then, you know, the straight line drives and be able to finish and doing things like that. Elite. Cutter, elite. And the other things, he's good. I don't think Levine is elite at really anything except he scores points. And there's a lot of players that could score points. And I'm not saying that Levine's a bad player. I'm just saying, like, as an NBA player and you're trying to fit a team in and you're trying to build a team, having him be an elite at one thing, even if it's cutting or rebounding or screening, really puts you in positions to win. And I, I think Levine needs to slide down the scale of what, like, you know, not the third, second guy. You know, he's like more of a third or even a fourth guy. I think he'd be perfect. But again, you'd have to accept that role. I think he could help you with that. The same thing with Tyler Hero in Miami. I think if Tyler Hero was like, if he's, if he's less of an option for you, but he could still score you 20 without having to go to him every time, I think that, you know, he helps you win more. And I think that that's the sick, you know, that's sort of what we're talking about with these two guys. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, yeah, Levine fourth, maybe a bit of a stretch. I think third option, but yeah, it's, it's, yep. I think I, I love, I'm, as a, if I was coaching, I love having guys like that off the bench that just yep. you limit, you limit their kind of how much they have to be bought in defensively by bringing them off the bench. 
and you just let him come in on that gunner roll and it's a 20 to 30 minute, maybe 35 if you're hot. Kind of like Jordan yep. Clarkson has established himself in this in this league. He'll come off the bench and they let him roll. If he's rolling, he's playing 40. If he's not, you're playing 20, you know, and I think yeah. – don't think Levine's there yet, but that's probably, I think, for him to be a winning basketball player – in the future, he's going to have to go to a team where he accepts a role like that. You're not going to be the number one. I, I think it's proven if you're our number one usage guy, we're not going to win, a la Jordan Poole. Like, it's just not, we're not going to win games. We need you to be – maybe we can stretch you to a two-second option sometimes, but you're probably a third option that, you know, injuries or our first and second stars aren't rolling. We're going to go to you and get us going a little bit. But as we said at the start of the show – takes a lot to buy into that mentality when you've always been the man, always been the number one option. It's not easy to kind of adapt there. So we'll see. There's a lot, a lot to, to a lot of water to go on the bridge for Chicago Bulls in the future. So I'm looking to, looking forward to seeing how they dictate their terms without a rebuild, bro. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Bogues, by the way, if you haven't already watched the game last night with Wimbenyana, if anybody doesn't believe that this guy's going to be a fantastic player, and, and I had my doubts a little bit, what he did last night, was ridiculous some of the things that he did the athletic plays that he made the block shots putting it be putting him around remember chris was a chris weber who put it around his back and dunked on barkley he did something like that last night and going toe-to-toe with Giannis for about 47 and a half minutes last night and you know they he they almost beat milwaukee but some of the things that he did again small sample size one game but like it's he's not just a seven three uh, freak show that launches threes and just throw alley oops to some of the things that he did, especially defensively. He's yeah, it, it was a pretty special game. If you haven't watched it already, I, I would definitely suggest anybody try to do that. That he put on a show last night. Looking at his numbers, um, he, he's averaging three point what is it three point two blocks and one point two steals as a rookie, which is yeah. which is quite amazing. Which made me. Made me Google well, who is a rookie has, has had highs more than that. There's there is one guy that's had more than that. I don't know if as a rookie, you know, yeah. you know who that would be. As a rookie shot blocker, yeah, shot Shaq maybe. Manute Bowl uh, averaged five. Bowl. Yeah, he averaged five a game in eighty five, eighty six. Yeah, um, and Hassan Whiteside had three point six eight in this fifteen sixteen season. So. But still, uh, that's you know, and then you top that with the with the steals, that's pretty impressive. That's five, you know, four point four in steals blocks combined. It's pretty hard to do as a rookie, you know, because usually these usually even really good shot blockers from Europe or college, it's, it takes them a year or two. A lot of times you'll see them come into the league and maybe block one game, one a game, maybe till they figure out yeah. defensive three or like. I mean, he's figured it out pretty quickly, and a lot of them he look. A lot of them he go he runs into by accident. Let's let's be honest. Like a lot of the steals, he's just so long. Guys, guys throw that same bounce pass they've thrown all season, and like holy shit, this guy's arm span. He's eight foot eight. Like he's getting a deflection on and getting a steal. So a lot of them are just because of his length, but he puts himself in positions to to get those deflections. So I I, I kind of didn't really have any doubts towards what he'd be able to do just because. He's just so freakishly long and athletic, but he has a basketball IQ to match with that. That's one thing I've noticed about him watching a few of the Spurs games that I have is he has all those tools and usually the athletic guys that are really strong and big take some time and figure out the IQ side. He's got that. And when you have those two things matched up, it's a LeBron James is your answer generally. You've got an amazing physical specimen, high basketball IQ, bang, you get that. Where on the flip side, we have a lot of guys that are, you know, one – 
top 1% athletically, don't have the IQ kind of journeyman and vice versa, someone really high IQ basketball player, no athleticism or size, they don't really eventuate, they end up overseas, right? Or they end up being fringe NBA players, G League. When you put them both together, man, it's it's beautiful to watch. So interested. Do you think he beat do you think he beats out Holmgren for rookie of the year though? That's a question. I do. I, I think I think the whole look, I, I really like Holmgren and I think Holmgren could be an MVP candidate down the line. I really do. I think he could be special if he stays healthy, just like this guy. But I think the media push, you watch you watch this guy play. It's sort of like when LeBron plays or whatever, all the media is just like the announcers, the media that covers it. Everybody's just in love and fawns over him. And he fawns over this guy for good reason. The guy does do some great things. I think that it's a lot closer in my mind, but I think that the media, you know, everybody's all in on on you know on him. And I think that'll be tough for Holmgren to really, you know, to sort of to catch, in my opinion, unless something catastrophic happened with God forbid an injury, knock on wood or something like that. Well wins man, wins don't what. wins don't matter as much for rookie of the year. They can sway it a little bit, yeah. but historically they haven't mattered that much. When Binyama yeah. currently as of today, nineteen point two points, ten rebounds, two two point eight assists, three point two blocks, one point two steals. His shooting numbers haven't been great though. He's no. just under forty five percent from the field, twenty nine from three, seventy eight from the free throw line. You go to Holmgren, seventeen point four points, so similar points, two less. 7.5 rebounds, so two less rebounds. Assists are the same at 2.6. Blocks, 2.6 relatively the same. But his clips are, are very, very good. He's 55% from the field, 40% from three, 83%. But he's got those wins. They're one of the best teams in the West. So it's going to be a tough one. I think it's going to be – I think it's a coin flip. As of today, I might even side with Holmgren just because he's a starting center on a team that's second in the West. Um, outside of the hype, I get what you're saying totally. Everyone's drumming him up. Yeah. But he's not an American I, neither, so the hype isn't as great. It's 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 up there, but it's not a LeBron James hype train. I don't think. I think it's a a little bit below that. Yeah, not and and let's not forget, like not only the wins, right? But Holmgren's got to do it with Shea getting most of the touches. Then you get Jalen Williams to get touches. Then you get Giddy who's got touches. You got all these guys that need the ball in his hands, and obviously he's. You know, he's probably you can make the case that he's their second best talented player. And you you watch San Antonio and most of the possessions are give it a Wemby on the right side and everybody else just spaces out and, and, and lets him go. And look, if you're trying to develop a, a your next franchise player, that's the way you need to do it sometimes. You need to give it to him, get it out of the way, let him figure things out. And what I think what that's done, Bogues, is he's not afraid. You see a lot of these rookies that are stars that are going to be stars in the future. You could tell they're not ready yet, but they've got the ability to do it, but they they really haven't come out of their shell yet. This kid's out of his shell. Like he's screaming at the fans, like, you know, in a good way, like grabbing his jersey and all that stuff. Cocky as hell in a good way where he's not afraid. And he went toe-to-toe with Giannis last night, and it was pretty cool to watch. I'm, You know me, I'm not a rah-rah guy, but I uh, – I thought it was pretty – the things that he did, you know, like whole – like even the cutting he made, like what he can do with his body. A guy that size – you know, guys his size could shoot before. Manute Bowles made threes, you know, over seven, whatever, and, and doing some things. But some of the things that he can do to, with his body is like Durant-like and, and in some ways a little bit more. And it's it'll be interesting. But I'm with you. Like Chet Holmgren's impacting winning – 
not only impacting winning by being a guy that usage rate, you know, by the naked eye without even looking at his usage rate, you wouldn't think it's as high as that guy. You would think that Holmgren's out of the blue. And and hold on, let me look at it real quick. Well, yeah, if you put and, and and that's the other thing, you put Holmgren, swap him, put Holmgren on the Spurs and get all the usage that Wemby's getting, Holmgren's numbers will be better as of today. Usage rate, 29.7 um, to 21, uh, 29.7 for Victor, 21.9 for Chet, right? Then you get PER, which, hey, look, that, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I know it's just efficiency, player efficiency. Victor, 19.3. Chet, 21.4. And again, less of a role. And Chet, again, better team. Box, uh, box score plus minus, plus 4.9, where Victor on that awful team is plus 0.9. So you, you definitely have some, you know, you definitely have some, some, if you're evaluating, you'll be like, wait a minute, Chet's doing more with less, mm-hmm. you know. And, and winning. And, and, a, and a field goal attempts, 11.8 for Chet and field goal attempts for, our guy Victor, I don't have in front of me. I thought I would. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Let me just get it real quick. Victor, field goal attempts. He's got, oh, 15.8. So, you know, doing more with less, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, could be the first co rookie of the year. I think it was the last one, Grand Hill, Jason Kidd. I'll have to look back. Grand Hill, Jason Kidd. The last coach. Trent, was there one more? I could have sworn there was one more. No. So Elton Brand and Steve Francis. Uh-huh. That was ninety nine. Uh, yeah. uh, they were yeah ninety nine two thousand. Yeah, and then yeah Grand Hill Jason Kidd ninety four ninety five, and then uh, Jeff Petrie and Dave Collins in nineteen seventy nineteen seventy one. I thought there was some. I thought there was another one. There's only the last three, years. three in NBA history. So uh, every argument for it to be four, I think, as of today, every argument for yeah. it to be four. So we'll see. Let's hope those two guys stay healthy first and foremost. All right, we'll see you all. Thanks, Pro, for being on time today. The fans really appreciate it. We'll uh, see you all in a blah, couple of weeks. Blah blah. See you guys. See ya.